Well, good morning. You know, actually, when I, uh, we stayed over at Tyler and Nicole's house, actually, when he woke up this morning, I realized I have that same exact shirt. And for a moment, I thought, maybe I should wear the same shirt. We can match. But I thought, maybe not. Um, I have to make a confession. Uh, visiting here this morning is the first church that we visited in our uh, trip back to America. Um, so this is going to be my most unpolished um, support raising sermon. Um, but I'm really happy to be here and I'm really happy to sharing with you. Um, I'm actually going to take a moment and I'm going to start a timer on my, my watch so that I do not actually give you a two-hour sermon. Um, I'm going to let you out of here before too long. Um, but again, uh, my name is William. Uh, my wife is Mary Jo. We have three children, uh, Eddie, Nora, oh, sorry, and Judy. I have already made a mistake. I promised Nora I would not point to her um, and embarrass her at church, and I've already done that. Um, Nora, I'm sorry. Um, but we are missionaries in Japan, and we serve in a town called Nagoya, Japan. It is uh, down south of Tokyo. Um, I have a little sign up over there, and if you look, it'll be... The, well, you can't see from here, but um, when you're leaving, you can stop and take a look and see a map of Japan and get an idea of where we are. Um, the other thing that I have to warn you about is that I work at CBI, uh, Christ Bible Institute. It's a ministry center and seminary, but I also serve at a church called Mustard Seed Christian Church. That's a bilingual church. Um, And so when I preach there, I'm always working with a translator next to me. So I will say something in English, and then I'll wait as they translate it into Japanese, and I'll say in English again. So if I'm up here and I give a really awkward pause, it's because I'm waiting for the translator to translate it in Japanese. Being in one language is going to be a little bit of a challenge today. So, we live in Japan, and Japan is a challenging but also really interesting ministry field. And the history of Christianity in Japan is one of the factors that makes it a little difficult and complicated. The first Christians actually came to Japan in 1549. Jesuit missionaries, uh, Francis Xavier was one of the first. Um, and he, uh, he came and there was an amazing acceptance of the gospel. It exploded. And in about a 50 year span, they estimate that there were 200,000 Christians in this city in, of Nagasaki alone. Um, and it was exciting. Now, we read accounts of it. We also see accounts in the Japanese histories that they saw it as a dangerous foreign threat. So, in 1614, Christianity was outlawed in Japan. Um, And what happened after that was a systematic campaign to wipe Christianity out of the country. Um, There's a book and a movie called Silence. Um, It's worth watching or reading. Uh, It's rather intense at times, but it is a as close to accurate accounting of of the things that happened at the time as we know of. Now, that ban lasted until 1873. In that time, it was lifted, but foreigners were still not let into the country. So when they said, you have freedom of a religion, it was between Buddhism and Shinto, the only two religions there at the time. Um, And it wasn't until after World War II that a major missionary effort began in Japan. And here we are today. And unfortunately, there's less than 1% Christian in Japan. Now, all of that makes for a complicated environment. Um, Now, as I mentioned before, historically, the two predominant religions in Japan were Shinto and Buddhism. Shinto is an indigenous animistic religion. It really revolves around 
sacrificing to, praying to, and appeasing spirits that live in all things. They call them the kami, these, these spirits that are in the trees, they're in the forest, they're in the rivers, they're all over the place. And the other religion that is prominent there is Buddhism. It came to Japan from China in the 6th century AD, and over time it has evolved and changed inside of Japan. So Japanese Buddhism looks almost unrecognizable to a traditional Chinese practitioner. Um, and despite being, and for many hundreds of ta- years, the uh, Buddhism was the state-mandated religion. Um, everyone was required to register at the Buddhist temple and to proclaim that they were Buddhist. Now, fast forward to today. According to the 2020 report on international religious freedom, 48% of Japanese people identify as Buddhist, 46% identify as Shinto, and around one, less than 1% identify as Christian. Now, in a similar survey done about that same time by the Japanese Agency for Cultural Affairs, they simply asked people, do you identify as religious or as non-religious? And in that survey, separate from the, the previous one, in that survey, 51% of people said, said they identified as non-religious. Now, I'm not very good at math, but 48 plus 46 plus 51 doesn't really add up right. There is an immense amount of overlap between the people who identify as Buddhist and Shinto and people who also identify as non-religious. Now, this this makes me think of a story. So, our children go to a Japanese school. Um, and when we first found this local preschool, it's like a preschool and a kindergarten together, we call it a yochian. When we first went to this school, we realized that they celebrated and participated in a whole bunch of Buddhist practices. And we told them right off the gate, we said, hey, we're Christians and we don't want our children participating in things that are religious. And the school, much to their credit, was really accommodating. They, they said, okay, here are the days where we do things that would be religious. Just keep your kids home. Home. We won't ask them to do anything that's like that. And we thought, wow, that's great. You guys are super cool. Um, time goes by. The kids really like going to school there. And one day, Nora comes home and she says, Papa, Papa, I did something fun at school. And we're like, what did you do? And she said, I washed the statue. And I was like, wash the statue? And we look at the calendar and realize it's Buddha's birthday today. And a traditional thing is to go to the statues of Buddha and pour a sweet tea over the statue as an offering to Buddha. Now, we obviously were like, wait a minute. They said they wouldn't ask our kids to do anything like that. And so we, uh, at the time, our ja- I, I felt very insecure in my Japanese. So I go to the, uh, the office at CBI and ask one of our Japanese staff. I was like, hey, can you help me out here? I want to call the school and I want to talk to them. And so Akiko, one of our staff members, she's fierce for a Japanese lady. And she felt, she's a Christian, and she felt very aggrieved at this. And she's like, I'm going to call him, and I'm going to talk to him. And she calls him up, and she's like, hey, you said this, and you did this, and what's the deal with that? Um, And the school's reaction, they were aghast. They were shocked. They said, wait a minute, we, that's not a religious thing we did, is it? And they're like, oh, it is, I guess. They didn't realize that making this offering to Buddha was considered an act of religion. It was a religious act. For them, it was just a traditional thing you do on that holiday. It, it's, it's just just a tradition, a cultural tradition. And what we realized was that, and, and this is something we'd seen, we'd read about, we'd heard about before, that the 
actions, the religious offerings, going to shrines and temples has become intertwined with people's cultural identity. Just to be Japanese is to practice these Buddhist and Shinto practices. There isn't a faith attached to it. And when you think of it that way, that overlap of non-religious people and people who identify as Buddhist and Shinto starts to make a lot more sense. If you ask somebody, what faith do you have? Well, they choose whatever their parents told them. But if you ask them if they actively practice a religion, they'd probably say no. So, uh, I have a picture here. Ah, there we go, of the temple near our house. Uh, Well, it's a shrine, actually. Um, And the interesting thing about this place is it's it is beautiful, but it, my wife has a very concerned look on her face right now. That's actually from, I know I'm throwing you right out there. That's actually from the street and from inside. It's not from the side of the building that we ever go to. Um, but it's a temple that sits empty most of the year, except for festival days. On certain festival days, it is absolutely full of people because that's the day you go and you clap your hands in front of the shrine, you throw your money in the box and you ring the bell um, to well, to wake up the spirits. Um, But again, I'm going to move on a bit. All of that makes Japan a rather challenging place. But on top of that, what also makes Japan challenging is the population, kind of the layout of the country itself. Now, here's a picture of Nagoya, if we've got one up here next. Um, It's a pretty big city. It's a sprawling cityscape. Um, Let's see. I know, yeah. Nagoya City itself has a population of about 2 million people, but it's nestled in a metropolitan area of 10 million people. Japan's population is about 125 million people, um, which is about a third of America, uh, America's population. However, Japan is only 8% of the size of the United States. So a third of the United States crammed into 8% of America, which makes the population density in Nagoya 17,000 people per square mile. Now, I looked it up on Wikipedia. Albert Lee's population is 17,000 people. So imagine this entire city, everyone who lives here crammed into a square mile. Um, That kind of population density really affects the way that we live our lives, the way we interact with people, and honestly, how communities are formed. And it makes for a really challenging ministry environment. But those are just numbers. Um, Before I left to come here, before I left Japan to come here, I rode on the train and I took the train into Nagoya station. And as I was coming into the station, I get off the train and begin to walk um, to the next line. As I'm going through the station, I'm surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of people. It felt like a sea of people, people going this way and that way and everybody going about their lives. And as I walked through this, this train station, just surrounded in these crowds of people, I, I kept thinking less than 1% Christian. And I kept thinking like of all these hundreds of people all going about maybe one, two, three people might know the gospel. Like that might be it. And I was kind of heartbroken. Honestly, like I, I felt a little hopeless because I had to think like, how do I reach all these people? If I just stood there, thousands of people would walk past me 
in, in a constant flow. And, and one of the things that, that people do in such a crowded space is we all pretend that no one is around us. Like we all walk past each other. We, don't, we look forward to where we're going, but we don't make eye contact. When we're on the train shoulder to shoulder, we all look at our phones or read a book. We all pretend that we're alone when we're in this super enormous crowd of people. And as I was walking through it, that, that habit of pretending I'm the only one there broke down. And I saw all those people and I didn't know what to do. Now, Tyler told me that you guys were preaching through Matthew. Um, and he asked me not to preach on Matthew. But because I don't listen very well, I chose a passage out of Matthew that I would read. Um, so hopefully, if he comes back to preach through this, I will leave plenty of meat on the bones. But I want to read Matthew 9, verses 35 through 36. And it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now, our answer to that lostness when we see that needs to be compassion. When we see the lostness of the world around us, we should, like Jesus, be brokenhearted at what we see. The world isn't what it should be. It's broken. It's contaminated by sin. I mean, we just have to open our eyes and look around to see that. Things aren't right. When, when I preach at Mustard Seed, we have a stage, much like this stage. It's a little bit smaller, but we're up on the seventh floor of a building. And behind us are windows. Uh, we have like a backing on the stage to kind of make so the sun doesn't come in so much. But as I'm preaching, if you look right over my left shoulder out the window, there is an enormous sign on top of a pachinko parlor. Pachinko is like slot machines in Japan. And it's just constantly blasting this giant. And it's not just a, a static billboard. It's an enormous TV screen that's playing commercials about come worship at the altar of money. And when we look out the other window, I mean, it's the same thing. Just a block away from our church are brothels. We live in a society where all sorts of aspects of it here as well are pulling us towards temptation, are pulling us away from the truth of the gospel. When we see this, when we see these people, we should be moved to compassion. For as we read in Romans, I'm going to read from Romans 5, it says, uh, For while we were still weak, at, this, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God, by the death of his sons, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Christians, we have all sinned and all fallen short of the glory of God. And we are all at one time in our lives in need of salvation. And while we were still sinners, Christ chose to die for us. And what's more, what breaks my heart even more is that Christ, knowing me, knowing that I was a sinner in need of salvation, chose to die for me. But on top of that, he knew that I would accept that salvation, and then I would sin again. And still knowing that, Christ went to the cross for us. We have been shown an immense and wonderful grace, and we should be moved to show a similar grace to the lost around us. Now, 
in our church, we have lots of volunteers. Like I said, it's a bilingual church. And one of the kinds of volunteers we're looking for are people who are willing to translate into Japanese. Now, many of the, the pastors of the church, we could preach in Japanese, but we want to have a bilingual service. We want to, uh, to attract the uh, people who want to hear English and learn English, and we want to uh, accommodate the people who aren't Japanese. Like, we have people from Taiwan. We have people from China, from Singapore. We have from the Philippines. We have all sorts of people who come to our church. And one of our translators was a woman named Miki, and uh, she had become a Christian. She was a professional translator. She worked for the embassy, and she came to our church. And what I saw in her week after week, month after month, was the most outgoing evangelistic person I'd ever met in my life. She was always inviting people to church, always telling people about God. And it was, it was amazing. She was the most un-Japanese person I have ever seen. Um, and I once asked her, I was like, Miki, why are you, like, you were always inviting people to church. You were always telling people about the gospel. Like, why why? Like, what motivates you to be so, like, un-Japanese in the way that you communicate? And she just simply said that her life was changed by the gospel. Like, she was lost, and she was broken. She was depressed and alone. And then she found the community of Christ. She found the gospel in that salvation that changed her. And she said she felt so guilty knowing that so many people around her had never heard the gospel, and she felt moved to do something about it. And it was in that moment that I was truly ashamed that I didn't have that same passion all the time that she did. Now, in a normal sermon, this would be the part where I would ask you, what are you going to do about it? And then I would talk about, you know, what we as Christians should do about this lost aspect and our need to share the salvation with people. But because I'm a missionary on a missionary visit, I'm going to talk about what we're doing about it. So I work at Christ Bible Institute, where I've said CBI. Here's a, I've got a picture up here. This is the backside of the building. We're in downtown Nagoya. Um, CBI, Christo Shesu Shingakuen, uh, is the name of it. Um, we got a cool new logo on our sign. Um, we're pretty excited about it. One of the neat things is you can see our building from the bullet train that comes into town. Um, we tell people that when we bring people to visit, we ride the train and we're like, hey, hey, you can see our building. Um, except the bullet train at that point is going about 100 miles an hour. So as it flies by, people are like, oh, really? And they look over and we're already well, well past it. Um, but the vision of CBI, our ministry vision at CBI, is to see the gospel of the glory of Christ cherished and proclaimed throughout Japan. Now that vision is born out of 2 Corinthians 4. I'm going to read that for you. It says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but we, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And you, and, oh, sorry, <clears throat> And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled by those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not of ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves, as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, that is our great goal, to 
see the gospel of the glory of Christ cherished and proclaimed throughout Japan. We want to see nothing less than a gospel movement sweeping across the country. We've talked with different people about this. And we talk about that 1% statistic. It, it counts Japan because it's less than 1% Christian. We are considered an unreached people group. Japan is the second largest unreached people group in the world. And we want to take it off that list. We want to push it. We want to see a, a church in every city, in every village across all of Japan. Now to get there, we need our, we need a mission. So our mission statement at that, at CBI, to achieve that vision, that's our vision, but to do that, we need something specific. Our mission is to equip Christians in Japan for the work of gospel ministry. Now, I'm uh, studying Japanese. I've lived there in Japan for about 13 years. Um, and, but I have to say, no matter how good my Japanese gets, no matter how long we live there, no matter how much we kind of become Japanese in the way that we do things, we will always be outsiders. We'll always be foreigners. Um, we recently moved into a house in another neighborhood about a year and a half ago. And um, it's been really great to get to know our neighbors. Um, when we lived in apartments, oftentimes the people who lived around you didn't really want to get to know you. Everyone wanted to live in their own little bubbles. But as we moved into this house, in this neighborhood, we really saw a change in people. Like people really wanted to, to get to know us. They wanted to talk to us. They want to know who was living in that house, like right next to them. And I think it's just because people are invested in being in this neighborhood a long time. And if we live there, then they're like, oh, we got to get to know them. Um, but despite that, um, there are lots of people in that neighborhood who know us just as those white people who moved into the neighborhood. Like we kind of stand out. Um, and that is the extent of our identity in a lot of people's minds. But because of that, because of the fact that I will always be an outsider to a degree, Japanese leaders and pastors will always have much more access and influence into people's lives than I will. And seeing that, has moved us to pursue this mission at CBI. That instead of me being the one at the spear tip of evangelism in the community, I need to be serving. I need to be training. I need to be equipping leaders to go out and to lead that charge of a gospel movement throughout Japan. And so that's our hope at CBI is to create a new generation of leaders to go out into the churches that exist, to revitalize them, to go plant new churches, to work in just different ministry efforts throughout Japan. Like that is our hope. That is our goal. Everything we do then at CBI needs to be to that goal. And if, we, if it isn't, then we need to stop it. Now, our goal is to instill what we call a fukui no seikatsu, a gospel lifestyle, into the hearts of our students. We really want them to not just see this as a vocation, but as something they live every day of their lives. Now, how do we do that? Well, one, we have a seminary. We have a Master's of Divinity program. We have a ministry certificate. And we're currently developing a Christian counseling degree as well. And so right now we have about 20 students. Uh, we had five graduates last year and six new students come in. Um, and it's really wonderful to see these students go out into ministry, go work in churches that need revitalizing, to plant new churches, to start new ministry efforts. It's been really exciting to see them go and do what we've been 
training them to do. But on top of that, we're also trying to provide resources to churches in Japan. One of the things we discovered was that as we started asking churches what they needed, we realized so many good Christian resources are not translated into Japanese. And so you have a lot of pastors who speak English, who study English, who are taking like good books and are copying sections out of it, translating it in Japanese, and then like printing it off and giving it to their to their congregation. And we're like, okay, this is something we can do something about. So we started a new ministry effort inside of CBI. We're calling it CBI Press. It's a uh, It's a publishing company. We are translating, printing, and distributing books. And it's been really exciting. And when we started asking pastors and churches, what was the thing that we should focus on first? Because there are lots of books that we could translate, but we really wanted to know what is the thing that people need most. One thing that we got back from people was that there was a deep need for counseling in churches. Um, And a lot of the pastors felt like they were trying to counsel people, but they needed ways to train people in their churches to also be counselors. So that it wasn't only the pastors who were working, that it was a priesthood of all believers, everyone working together to hold up their communities. And so we reached out, and the first book that we translated was uh, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands by Paul Tripp. Uh, We actually had him come to Japan um, and do a conference with us. We've had some online seminars with him, and it's been really great to hand out this book. Now, um, one little story about the book. We translated it. We had someone in our staff. We, I, I helped kind of train someone how to use uh, Adobe InDesign so we could design the book files to send out to the printer. We went to the printer with this book and we said, hey, uh, this church has donated enough money for us to print 5,000 copies of this book. Uh, we'd like you to print 5,000 copies of it. And this printer looked at us and he said, oh, I've printed Christian books before. He's like, you shouldn't print 5,000. He's like, you should print maybe 500. And we said, well, well, why not? And he said, well, they just don't, they don't sell. Like, you can't give them away. And he said, if you, and we're like, but they already, they told us 5,000 and they gave us that money. So we really want to do it. And he looks at us and he goes, if I print you 5,000 books, you will have them till the day you die. And we said, that's fine. We'll take it. He prints 5,000 books. Six months later, we call him up asking him for another run. We'd already given away all 5,000 of those books. What kept happening is we would call a church we were connected with and we'd say, hey, we've got this book. It's about Christian counseling and we think it's really great and you would help. We, we would love to give it to you. We'll give it to you for free. Just pay for shipping. We'll send it off to you. How many would you like? And ev- almost every time the pastor of the church would say, well, how about just send me one? We'd be like, okay, fine, fine. Here's one. We'd mail it off to him. Two weeks later, three weeks later, we'd get a call from the pastor. Hey, could you, uh, could you send me 50 more? Could you send me 100 more? Because they would read these books and they would be like, oh, we need these resources. This is the thing that we've been looking for. And we'd send them out. So we'd, we printed 5,000. We gave them all away. We printed 5,000 more. I think we've given away 2,500 of those. The next book we moved on to was uh, New City Catechism. Now that one was already translated into Japanese by another organization. We got permission to print it and distribute it. We printed up 10,000 copies Um, And we've given away almost 8,000 of them so far. We moved on to another counseling book called Caring for One Another by Ed Welch. Another good book. We printed 5,000. We've given away, I think, 2,500. At the end of the day, I've I've got all these numbers, but 
we've uh, we've given away almost twenty thousand books. Which that printer, it's been an amazing testimony to this guy. He's not a Christian; he's just a book printer. But he has kept asking us, "What are you doing with these books?" And we're like, "We're giving them away." He's like, "To who?" And we're like, "To churches in Japan." And he was just kind of astounded. And it's been really, really fun. Um, the last book that we just published was Gospel Centered Life, another really good resource to give to people's hands. And another one we're working on now, which as I put it in my notes, I realized maybe I don't, I shouldn't talk about it because I don't know if it's public knowledge, but I'm going to let you guys in on a secret. Um, we're doing a daily devotional called New Morning Mercies um, that we'll soon have translated and start printing as well. So this resource distribution has been a really exciting way to get to equip Christians in Japan for the work of gospel ministry. Now, over the last couple of years, um, we've had to go online for a bunch of our stuff. Um, we have, uh, one of the things we discovered was that in, uh, we have a, a variety of guest lecturers, and some of them are very elderly, and they travel from all over Japan to come down to us, and they didn't always feel comfortable traveling on public transit. So we did some Zoom classes. And normally when we have classes at CBI, we allow, we have our students, but then we also allow auditors to come and check out the classes. And we generally have like one or two auditors from local churches come to our classes. But one of our classes, because of scheduling, we needed to move it to a Saturday. And we thought, hey, why don't we email churches and we tell them, you know, we're doing Zoom classes. If you aren't in Nagoya, you can come audit our classes and see what you'd like. See if you like it. And we sent out these emails and we said, send us an email. And then we'll, we set up like a little automated reply to bounce them the Zoom link. The first class comes. We have five students in this class. We had 75 auditors show up just out of nowhere. And we were blown away. Like the poor professor was sitting in there as more and more people just kept coming into the class. And he did not know what was going on. Like he did not understand. It was really exciting. And after that, we decided, well, let's lean into this a little bit more. So we started another class and we were calling it Seminary on Saturday. And so we had an introduction to the book of Genesis. We had it on Saturday. We had 85 people attending this class. Uh, I think 10 of them were students. The rest of them were people from churches all over Japan who were hungry for this kind of equipping and training resources. Um, it was really fun to see. And that's what's prompted us to think, okay, up until now we've hesitated from having online courses because part of the seminary that we want to have, part of our mission is to equip people. And that doesn't just happen through learning. A lot of that happens to the, in the discipleship that we have with people, the connections we have every day and how we meet with people. And so we've kind of hesitated from having online classes, but seeing the responses that we've had, we've really leaned into and we decided we're going to start recording all our classes to offer an online program. Um, we've also partnered with a church in Tokyo um, to start, well, this is again, kind of a, a new thing we're starting. So it may not materialize. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. We're trying to make it happen. Um, a satellite campus where a local church will host our online videos, where a pastor will mentor the people attending it so that they can have that discipleship, that one-to-one -one interaction, as well as our online learning. Um, that was one, another one of the cool projects that I've worked on over the last year was building a recording studio up in the, on the fourth floor of CBI. We received a grant from uh, a really generous supporting church. And that enabled us to buy cameras, to buy lighting equipment and microphones and set up a space where we can now start recording these classes and create high quality content to send out to these churches. 
it's been exciting for me. It was a little terrifying, actually, when somebody said, hey, Will, here's a pile of money. Please build a recording studio. And I thought, I don't know how to do that, but I guess I'm going to Google everything. Um, and started looking stuff up, and we have built it, and we've started recording. The first class, the Gospel of John, uh, it's a 10-part class, is now been recorded, and I just have to do a ton of video editing. Um, but again, that's fun, too. Now... I'm not here to only share with you about all the things that we're doing. I want to ask you guys a question. Um, So, Jesus' response. So, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. But what was his response after that? What did he do? So, let's read in Matthew 9, 37 to 38. It says, Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So, we are here today to ask you something. We want to ask you to pray for us. Not just pray for us, but to pray that more laborers are sent to Japan to that harvest. Like I've said, Japan is a difficult and challenging field. There is a long history of oppression of Christianity in Japan. And even when it was lifted, that ban was lifted, we still have not seen that growth that we've seen in other places. This is confused and confounded missiologists throughout the years. They've looked at revivals happening in China, mission efforts in Africa, in India, and then they look at Japan and think, well, there's freedom of religion, there's freedom of the press, there's an uncensored internet. Like, what is stopping the gospel from growing there? And it's a question we've wrestled with, and I don't have an answer for that. The only answer I have is what Jesus asked us to do, is to pray. So please, when you think of Japan, pray that laborers would be sent to that field. And when you think of Japan, pray for us. We've been there for a while now, and it's not, it's become to feel like home, but it's still not easy living in a culture that isn't your own. And it's, the work that we're doing is exciting, but it's stressful and it's hard at times. And knowing that there's communities of people praying for us as we work there is what keeps us going many, in many of the difficult times. So please, pray for us as we're there. And pray for our family as well. We're trying to raise children in Japan and raise them to be beacons of the gospel in a dark, in a dark place. And pray that all that we do would be guided by God. Because we, we're trying a lot of things at CBI right now. We're moving into, on, like we're doing an online course. We've got our seminary going. We're expanding to new programs. We have the counseling program we have, that we're developing now. And we're even talking about developing a four-year undergraduate program so we can offer a bachelor's degree as well. And we have all sorts of non-degree related training as well. And all of that is fun and it's exciting. Like building the studio has been pretty cool, but we want to make sure that everything that we do is bathed in prayer before we do it because it would be very easy for us to spend a lot of time and a lot of effort doing something that has not been ordained by God. And so please pray that we would have wisdom as we move forward. We'd make good decisions on how to grow the ministry there and how to reach the people of Nagoya. And I want you to take some time to pray for the lost in Japan. There are so many people there. It is so intimidating at times to realize the immense amount of people 
that are just around us all the time. And there are people I will never be able to meet, people I will never be able to reach. But lucky for us, we're not the only laborers in Japan. Please pray that the Holy Spirit would work in people's hearts. It would prepare a way for the gospel to come into them. Lord, just I ask that you guys would really pray for the lost of Japan. So there was a, when I first went to Japan the very first time in 2006, I, uh, I had a really weird experience. I, um, didn't speak any Japanese at the time. I had a friend who was Japanese and he, he is, his father was the pastor of a church and they asked if some English speakers would come over to help with their English, like an English language program. And he said, if you buy a plane ticket and come over, we'll give you room and board and you can work with us for the summer. I said, sweet. So I sold my Thunderbird and I flew to Japan and, um, when I got there, I was going with my translator, handler, this, this woman who was just like keeping an eye on us Americans there. And she took us to the grocery store and we were buying groceries, picking out things. And it was kind of fun because everything is kind of the same, but different. Like, you know, eggs and milk are the same, but it all looks kind of weird. And we were marveling at this grocery store. And as we were checking out, um, it wasn't very busy. The lady at the cash register looks at me and she goes, do you speak English? And I was like, yeah, I do speak English. I was like, wow, you speak English too. And then she, she said, can I ask you some questions? And I was like, sure. And she asked me kind of the, they learn English in high school, kind of like we learn Spanish in high school. So she's like, what is your name? Where are you from? What are your hobbies? And I was like, all of the basic things. She was very excited to use her English. And then she asked me, where are you staying? And I was in Hamamatsu. It's a relatively small town, not exactly a tourist destination. I said, oh, I'm staying at the church down the road. And she looks at me, she goes like, what's a church? And I was like, oh, she probably just doesn't know that word. Her English was good, but not that great. And I was like, uh, what's a church? What's a church? Oh, a church is where Christians go to worship, right? And I was like, maybe not the best answer, but it's the one I came up with at the moment. And she looks at me and she's just like, what's a Christian? And that's when my translator jumps in and she's like, well, let me tell you. And she kind of dives in. And what we discover is this woman in her 20s, works at a grocery store in Hamamatsu, had lived her entire life up until that point and had never heard the gospel. Not just never heard, like never been to a church or never met a Christian, never heard of the gospel. Like the entire concept of Christianity was completely foreign to her. And I was shocked and horrified. Like she could have lived her whole life never hearing the gospel. But it was just by God's guiding that we went to that grocery store. And I had someone with me who was passionate about evangelism. But I want you to pray for those people in Japan. And uh, the last thing I want you guys to pray for is pray that we would succeed in bringing a gospel movement to Japan. Because it isn't just going to be by more missionaries coming to Japan that the gospel is going to change the culture. It's going to be by Japanese leaders, leading churches, building up disciple makers who make disciples in churches, churches that plant other churches. That is how it's going to change. And so I'd ask that you would pray that a gospel movement would start and sweep over Japan. Will you pray with me now? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, I thank you for bringing us here. I thank you for allowing me to have this moment to share. And Lord, 
we thank you that while we were still sinners, Christ chose to die for us. And Lord, I ask that you would guide us in our daily lives, that you'd fill our hearts with compassion for the lost around us, that you would give us wisdom and help us to know how to pray, and that you would help us to know how to act so that we may live out the grace that you've given us. Lord, thank you again for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.